Now, that was a big jump for me because that was what's called E-band at GE, executive band. That's breaking the glass ceiling at GE. Yeah. We only do deals, 10 million or greater. Mm -hmm. And then they hand it to us. What's up, guys? You're listening to The Climb Project, where we do a deep dive into individuals' unique career blueprints and the steps they took on their climb to success. So today I sat down with Lou Ruggiero. He's just a super interesting guy, a genius businessman, one of those people that you know you can talk to and he can just really capture the attention of the whole room. So the things that I got out of it really help showing that you can get to a place of leadership, you can get to a high level within a large company and it's not an impossible task. Right? Like you don't have to be the Harvard grad in order to get there. Um, you don't have to be the person who just has that perfect resume. Um, and he really goes through detail and stories on, on how he did get to where he's at. I think it's probably one of the most interesting stories I've heard in quite a while. So uh, definitely give it a listen, like and subscribe and download those episodes. Just uh, let me know in the comments what you guys think. I want to start off and just kind of ask from, from your perspective sort of like what your story was so i'd like to kind of go through chronologically what happened to you after like high school yeah so um i'm not so sure if it was an advantage or a disadvantage but i at the time i was in a relationship with someone older than i was mm -hmm. and so i forced myself through high school to graduate early so when i graduated high school I was only uh, 16, so I pushed my way through that. And I'm not so sure it was a great thing. I did that in three years, and I naturally, because of my girlfriend largely, thought college was the path. You yeah. know, you just go to college. And so I just started to look at colleges. But while I did that, uh, my eldest brother, Vinny, worked for the United States uh, you know, U.S. Postal Service. And so I had applied there and I got accepted there. I accepted a job there. So I was contemplating going that path. Yeah. And this and is that, just like, like a postman. Yeah. Being yeah. a post, being working in the postal service yeah. because all my brothers, that's what they did. They had city jobs or federal jobs yeah. and it felt normal to me. So I was going to go down that path and my girlfriend, uh, Lorraine, kind of encouraged me to think differently and she says you know look at the colleges you've done well in school you should really look at going to college and so I, I I chose that path but I was very afraid I remember being very afraid of where to go to school so I only applied to regional schools to schools near home was that mostly because you were afraid of of not doing well or financially or what I was afraid I I was afraid of not succeeding and I felt if I was living at home, that I the odds of me do you know assimilating myself well better would be would would, would be improved. So, so I just so I only looked at regional schools, and that's when I chose to go to St. John's. You know, I could travel back and forth, and you know I was dating Lorraine, and you know my brothers would be there to support me and all that kind of stuff. So I decided to just go to St. John's, which you know in retrospect was. It was great school, but it was really nothing more than an extension of high school. Yeah. And, and, and when I look back at it, it's probably why I chose it. 
because it was easy because it was, and, and I regret that actually, because I could have gotten, I think I could have gotten into, you know, schools that could have given me a leg up from the onset. And that was a lesson for me, but, I, but I went into school. I went to St. John's. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I went to St. John's. And I got there, and I so I took a liberal arts. I remember I was talking to a guidance counselor, and she said, well, just take a liberal arts. You'll figure it out. So I was a liberal arts major. And I took political science, and I really liked political science. And I also had some communications courses, interpersonal communication. And uh, I really enjoyed that as well. Mm-hmm. So I accelerate it with both of those. And so I was a dual major in interpersonal communication and poli-sci. Thought I would go to law school. So I had law school on my brain, uh, took the LSATs, did well on the LSATs. And so law school was pretty heavy on my brain. But there was this professor of mine, Dr. Dickman, Dan Dickman, who I took many times in communications, who really wanted me to it really encouraged me to get my PhD in communications. Mm-hmm. He got his from Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois, and basically set me up for success. So I go there, I get fully accepted. It's a free ride to get my PhD. He hooks me up with a grad student. Uh, I'm in this guy's trailer for a weekend. You know, the guy had a trailer, and I was scared out of my mind. So I turned it down. So this is after you've gone through four years of undergraduate and three. I only went for three. three years. So this was like in my closing in on my last year. I graduated in three years. Okay. Because, again, uh, yet again, because my girlfriend was older than me, so I yeah. just was pushing wanted myself. Wanted to be to done. Do. I just wanted yeah. to be done. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I, I enjoy school, so it wasn't like a hardship or anything. Yeah. I just want to be done. But I, Robert, I remember being so scared from being away from home. Yeah. And here I am in this. So I turned that down. And I remember the professor being so mad at me. Like, you know, just couldn't understand why right. I would let that be in the way. So I applied to law schools. And I get into a, some decent law schools. And I turned those down. And, and in retrospect, I thought, I think it was just fear of failure. Or, yeah. or, or I don't know what it was, I, I but I turned them down. So I decided because I didn't know what else to do to go into sales. And so I just started interviewing for sales jobs. Mm-hmm. And as in the same area and you just wanted to kind so of I wanted close. to be local. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's the biggest learning for me. And that's the learning I would give to anybody is, you know, I fell victim to this fear of kind of getting outside of my comfort zone, right? The people yeah. who I live around and the geography in which I live. And, and I didn't, explore what or or even test my potential because of those things yeah i didn't so i on i get introduced to procter and gamble and and i I get a job with png so that was your first job out of school was with procter and gamble and it was with the um food service and lodging division so essentially what we did was we sold bar soap Mm -hmm. uh to hotels and then we also sold a bunch of products to restaurants and so forth, um, like fake butter and frying oil and so forth. So, well, I guess one step back. So why did you pick sales? Because I feel like a lot of sales guys are like, everyone's like, oh, he's a natural born salesman. Was that just like you were good at 
talking to people and so that's kind of the path that you decided or had seen other people do it it was really comfortable for me yeah and i think what made me realize that i was really comfortable is i was always a uh i was always confident in my public speaking abilities Mm -hmm. in in school and and so forth but i think really what turned it for me was when i was in college my part-time job was selling stuffed animals my dad was a wholesaler for a stuffed animal company and would buy these bears and bunnies and whatever the occasion was of stuffed animals. And I would literally display these on my car parked at a gas station on Staten Island and sell them. Yeah. And I was making really good money. And my, my dad said to me, you know, you're really good at this. And at the time, I thought he was just referring to I was good at like at selling stuff at, at the stuffed animal business. Yeah. But that's really not what he meant, I don't yeah. think. And and I was very kind of comfortable, you know, interacting with people, yeah, going and, up to strangers and asking them. Totally comfortable. Yeah. Totally, totally comfortable. And I think that's what gave me the courage to pursue a sales job. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know the first thing about Procter and Gamble. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a pretty good company for your first job out, right? Like. It was a great company for for my first company out, but I didn't even know that. I didn't even know what I was getting into, yeah. truth be known. So I get interviewed. I didn't even know who they were. I was spelling Proctor wrong, you know, the whole time. And but here I was. I was in a you know I was getting married actually soon, and and so I felt like I didn't have an adult job. And yeah. so I, I researched them, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they they're into everything. They're into every consumer product, and oh this feels okay. Totally took a blind, you know blind approach to it and what i what i didn't know was going to happen and i i wish i could take credit for planning this but it was so not that way was man did they train you did they invest in you and yeah and and so forth and i was there a few years and and i learned a lot about selling the art of selling and uh i was trained with their professional stuff you know professional programs and I became more confident and I realized, you know what, I, I made the right decision not going to law school or not going to get my PhD. I really like this. Yeah. So I did that for a while. I did that for quite a while, for a few years actually. And I had a bunch of buddies who were in the healthcare space and they were selling various, you know, OR medical products or devices and so forth. And and I remember them, you know, Saying, hey, you, know, you should get into healthcare. You should get into healthcare. You should get into healthcare. Yeah. Uh, that's where the money is. And so, money, it really wasn't. It really wasn't because of the, you know, the excitement around technology. I yeah. mean, I, I wish it were, but it wasn't <laughs> at the time. It was, oh, you can make a lot of money, and they were all making a lot of money. Yeah. So I interviewed with a company. Now it's Baxter, but at the time it was American Hospital Supply interviewed, and I get this job, and and now I'm in the OR. And so it's still sales. It's still sales. It's all sales. It's uh, I had a very small base salary, Mm -hmm. and it was 100% commission, which you know, which was new to me. You know, all of it was new to me, but that in particular was new to me. But my then wife at the time was working, and so I'm like, yeah, I'll do this, you know, and yeah. and it was going great. Um, so I my territory was uh, was New York City. I had I had uh, Manhattan, uh, 
and uh, and at all the biggest hospitals. And I remember very vividly the money was interesting, but I was so so intimidated by the scientific knowledge and the intellect of yeah. the people I was selling to. I remember just feeling very overwhelmed. Yeah. And my buddies would try to walk me off that ledge and they're like, you know, they're people too and you know, they you know, you don't have to know everything and I remember just always feeling uh not as confident and courageous, right? Yeah. So I had to kind of make a decision, do I stay in healthcare, you know? And I did. And I gained confidence over time and did that for a few years. Back, uh, American Hospital Supply got sold. And then I went to work for another medical company, CR Bard, and same OR products. And I really, I really kind of flourished there. I mean, it was that, that, that was the role that I did quite well. And I, so I, I think American Hospital Supply for me was the figuring it out yeah, stage. Right. Do I like it? Do, I like sales. I knew that. Do I like it enough to, to stick it out, am I courageous enough to take some hard shots? Because some of the physicians I was working with were harsh. You know, it was yeah. just it was harsh. And and I remember the most the, the most vivid example I had that I can remember was I was trying to sell. So I was selling surgical instrumentation. Um, and so I sold all, all neurosurgery instrumentation, uh, general surgery, ophthalmic, all, all of that. And there was a hospital in New York City, but it's no longer there. But the name was Cabrini Medical Center, and it was pretty well known. Mm-hmm. And man, and I gotta give myself credit. Like I, I, I was really assertive and re, you know resilient and relentless. And so I finally got the the purchasing person who I had to get through that gatekeeper. I got her to, to, to give me an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So she bought, it wasn't very much, you know, a couple of thousand dollars worth, and that's not a lot, a couple of thousand dollars worth of these um, OR supplies. And it was our value line. She bought the cheapest thing we had. But yeah. I think she was just trying to give me a break. Yeah. And then I was in an elevator in Cabrini Medical Center. And there was somebody else in the elevator. And I made the mistake sophomore sophomore mistake of being uh of saying something to him i didn't know he was my competitor i thought he was just just another guy and i said something turned out like dismissive about my competition that i was bragging that i had just gotten this deal because i was proud of myself and and so i was bashing the competition i unbeknownst to me he was the competition (laughs) so he goes back to the to the purchasing manager and uh, tells her that. And uh, she, she, she beat me up. Yeah. And it was probably one of the best lessons I, I could have had in sales. Yeah. It's like, you know, Hey, you know, you, you, you could do things humbly and yeah, here's your humility pill. Here's like, my humility pill. <laughs> yeah. I learned that big time in sales. Yeah. And I remember being so embarrassed by that, but she did me the biggest favor by confronting me. Mm-hmm. And, that's it. I stayed in that industry, went to work for CR Bard, had a long run there. So with sales, is it essentially like, what's a, like a promotion in sales? Is it like more per commission or is it like you move to like a senior sales? Like, I guess I don't know what the different levels are and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So you start off, you always start off with 
you know, you're an individual contributor, so you have your own set of named accounts, sometimes a, you know, set geography, and you're responsible for all the revenue Mm -hmm. derived there. And everybody has a quota, right? So you're there to deliver X dollars in revenue per year, X growth per year. And, you know, you're hunting a lot. You have to go find new stuff, but you also have some existing business that you build upon. So the way the career path goes is sometimes they'll make you a senior sales rep, which uh, many companies do. And typically in that role, you know, you're more experienced. So you're oftentimes a trainer for other reps who are still at your level, but you're a trainer. You get a big, a little bit of a boost on your base salary to do that. So I did that. I, I had that those roles at both Procter and Gamble and in in uh, at, at Bard. So you do that, and you're kind of now feeling your way out, you know, a little bit, and it it allows you to explore whether you like kind of coaching and mentoring enough. And they're they're testing you on this too, right? So yeah. part part of it is brilliance on their in their part. To see, you know, do you have the mentoring skills? Do you have those coaching skills? You know, can you bring people to a place that they otherwise couldn't bring themselves sort of thing, right? And I liked that a lot. And and so I kind of rose to that occasion. Training in particular, uh, educating and training, like I, I, I rallied around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess to the point where C.R. Bard recognized that in me, and they made me, or they promoted me to the director of training. I ended up becoming the trainer for the whole company. Mm-hmm. So I did that, which is when I moved to Rhode Island. So I, that's what I did. I ran the training program. And it was everything from sales training to technical training and all of that. And I liked that. Which, by the way, life goes full circle, which I think was always in my G- DNA to teach, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I just enjoyed that a lot, you know? Yeah, and so you do that, and then then you're kind of at a really a crossroads. You can either just stay in sales or training, stay in sales as an ind- individual contributor or training, and then go into training and development and, and so forth, or go into management, people management, sales management. So I opted to go into sales management. Okay. And So that, what, what pushed you in that direction versus staying with the training route? Um, it was money motivated. It was money motivated because in training, you know, you're, it's great. It's fun, but the job never changes in sales management. It becomes, uh, either you have more people responsibility or more geographic responsibility or more business line responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so I was interested in that, which is what I did. So I became a regional sales manager and I, it was a great training ground for me at Sierra Bar. It was my first regional sales manager role. And I made every mistake known to man. You know, irritating people, overstepping boundaries, pushing too hard, not pushing enough, uh, treating it as though it was your own territory when you're trying to motivate people to get to a better place, right, sort of thing. But I, I learned a ton, and it was great. And I did that for a, for a number of years. And you make good money. Yeah. yeah. You make you you make really, really good money do well, I, I thought it was good money. Yeah. You know, doing it. And so at that point in my life I was young and money was important to me. I was starting a family and yeah. So 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 money was important. And then I got a uh get this random phone call uh from a recruiter with an opportunity for GE, GE healthcare. 
didn't know GE was even in the healthcare business, didn't know they had anything to do with diagnostic imaging. Uh, and they sold me on this, this opportunity. And it was to go run to be a nuclear medicine specialist. So I was the, think of it like it was a uh, business unit uh, leader, right? So my business unit for the Boston zone, they called them zones, regions, was, uh, was for nuclear medicine. And I ran that. And there was somebody who was running CT, which is CAT scan, MRI, X-ray, right? yeah. ultrasound, all the modalities. So there was one of us for each of those. And we were. We were the business unit leaders. Now, what was interesting about that role in sales was I learned that I learned the and it's complex, but I learned the art of managing and leading people that don't report to you. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I experienced that, which is very different than leading people who work directly for you. It's a very different art. And so you're vying for their time, right? So we had uh, 12 sales reps, and most of the revenue that was coming out of, out of uh, our zone was for MR and CT, MRI and, and CAT scan. Mm-hmm. I was the smallest of all. And nuclear medicine was just not on the main, yeah. this wasn't mainstream. So I soon realized that while I was a business unit leader, I had a really small business. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I really didn't have anybody's attention because it wasn't one of the big modalities. And so I had to vie for their time. And, and, and what I figured out after trial and error was there were two people, two of the, two of the 12 reps who actually could spell nuclear and who cared about it and who were willing to let me, because I said, I'll do all the work. I'll do all the work. I'll just open the doors for me. Just open the doors. I'll do all the work. And there were two in particular that would allow me to do it. And we closed a couple of deals. And, you know, word spreads and they're telling their friends, hey, you know, I didn't even do anything. You know, all I did was introduce him to the department. Yeah. And Lou did, the, you know, did the work. And, and so we did. And we built, a, we, it wasn't very large relative to the other modalities, but we, we did build it. And so in a uh, one-year period, we grew it substantially. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I apparently that got noticed you know, by my boss, who was the zone manager, and by her boss, who was the general manager. And they offered me a promotion to be a zone manager. And I had to relocate to Pittsburgh, which I did. Yeah. And so I went into being – went. it's similar to being a regional sales manager. Um, except you also have some P&L responsibility. So it was my first P&L job. Yeah. So that was my path, you know. Yeah. I did that for, for a while at GE. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And that, that, I mean, that was a good run. Um, I learned a lot. I, the beauty about GE, and, and I didn't know anything, any of this really about GE, was they don't... Um, they don't really expect you to know everything. They hire people who they believe have the learning agility and the capacity to get to higher levels. Yeah. And so it was a real privilege. It was the best part of my career was working for GE. Yeah. And it was such a privilege to to have gotten acquired by them because it I, I, I didn't realize how few people actually get hired for the number of people they interview. And yeah. so it was an honor. And through that, uh, they test you a lot, right? So I did this zone job and uh, 
they're, they're tough. I mean, at the time, this was the tough GE. This was the Jack Welsh yeah, right. uh, up or out kind of mentality. And I learned to be very tough-skinned there. And I'm not, a, I'm really, uh, at many levels, not that way. I mean, I have, I'm like an M&M, you know, I know this about myself, tough exterior, but, you know, I'm very soft inside. I, I know this. And they taught you to, to, to be hard, harder. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I mean resiliency, you know, to, to take it on the chin, to take feedback as it's intended, to not take anything personal to course correct and pivot appropriately based on what you're learning put arrogance aside you're not the smartest guy in the room they made that very clear and you're not the smartest guy in the room at GE yeah I don't know who is I'd like <laughs> to know who is yeah and they make that very clear yeah. yeah so so you go through that and and so I did this job and we did it quite well in Pittsburgh we, we really we blew out our numbers it was a newer region and then I had an opportunity to go to a competitor, and GE said to me, well, we don't want you to leave. And I was like, well, you know, but, I, I mean, it was like a $25,000 raise. Yeah. And this is after we had our first daughter, and, and we wanted to have another child. And I was like, but it's $25,000 raise. Well, that, 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 that's, you know, if you leave GE, it's kind of the last time you leave GE. So let, let us, what is it that would make you happy? I never got asked that question in my career. What is it that would make you happy? And I said, well, we really don't like Pittsburgh, yeah. which we didn't. I'd like an opportunity to make more money. And by the way, I'd like to go to business school. I didn't know where that was going to go. But they increased my salary very nicely, mm -hmm. moved up. They gave me a choice of three cities that I could live in, mm -hmm. Baltimore, Philadelphia, or New York. At the time, we were in Pittsburgh, and they said, you pick any one of these three cities, and we'll, we'll, we'll move you there. We'll pay for your relocation. And oh, by the way, we will fully fund an executive MBA anywhere you want to go. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I talked to my wife, and I was like, wow, they're, they're pretty committed. Why would I? I'm not, I don't want to leave. Like, they're showing their commitment. So I stayed. Mm -hmm. Great decision. Trust my instincts. Moved to Philadelphia. We, we had a great run for, I was region manager there for about five years, did, you know, uh, zone manager. Uh, I went for my, uh, I, at the time, I did not start my MBA because I was so busy with, with work. But, but GE had made the commitment, so I really wasn't worried about it. And then they promoted me again. Then they said, hey, are you, you know, what do you want to do next? I was like, I don't know. What do you do next? At GE, and they're like, well, here are all the paths you can take. And one path was uh, corporate accounts, big, big deals, national accounts. One path was to um, go into modality general management, where you're kind of running the modality for the whole country or even the world. One is country management. They had four or five different paths that I could consider. And, and they really were very masterful at, uh, at career planning, you know, and, and I know a lot of companies take, including me, take the position, hey, you got to manage your own career, and there's a lot of truth to that. But GE was wise enough to at least open up for consideration in your mind what those opportunities were. And so they wanted you to think about it. Yeah. They really wanted you to think about it. So did 
at GD at GE, did you have like mentors or were these just sort of your bosses at the time that were sort of pushing you up or, you know, over wherever you ended up? Yeah. At the time it was mostly my bosses. At this point it was mostly my bosses where I was in a region job because he was responsible for all of those cities I just mentioned to you. So he had the latitude. So he could move you. He could move me around. Now I didn't realize that at the time, but he, he was, he was making these decisions because he wanted to keep me, but in the confines of his area, right? right. Which was the whole Northeast you know, right. area. Um, but, but, but he was pretty cool guy and, and he knew I wanted to do more and he wanted me to, and he gave me really strong reviews. And so I said, I don't know. I don't really know what I want to do. Well, what was hot at the time, what was really hot at the time was Six Sigma. That's when GE brought Six Sigma in. So I had, I said, I really would like to be one of the Six Sigma leaders, go get my black belt and, and, and be the Six Sigma, Six Sigma guy for everybody, you know, teach them all. I didn't get that job. I didn't get that job. And, and I remember being devastated that I did not get that job. Well, the person who it reported to was my boss's boss, right? So it was a pretty big job. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday, Paul Marabella. And Paul gave me the news. And he says, uh, I, I, I didn't give you the job. I gave it to, uh, to Mike Martin. And I remember like feeling like horrified. And I was like, can I ask for some feedback? He said, yeah, I expect that you would. He said, here's the feedback. You were the most prepared. You presented yourself brilliantly. You're the smartest of anybody who applied. You were the most equipped for of any of them. I said, Paul, sounds like I should have gotten the job. He said, you have no presence. I said, excuse me, he goes, you lacked, you lack presence. I says, what does that mean? He said, this is a leadership role. We're looking for people in this role who can not only do the job, but who are going to bring people through their innate natural leadership abilities, bring people along with them. And we just didn't feel that you have that yet. We feel like when you walk in a room, people aren't looking to listen to the next thing you have to say. And that's what we needed to hire. Wow. Just wow. Had nothing to do with ability. Had everything to do with presence. And nobody ever taught me that lesson until that moment. That took me, that set me back. Yeah. But it was also a very, very important learning for me. So now I was at a point in my career where, okay, what do I do? Well, I go to plan B, that's what I did, which was corporate and national accounts. So I interview for a job there. Still within GE. Still within GE. All, all staying within GE for, these, for this dozen years, right? So, and Jim Del Moro, who was a, kind of a legend at GE, and he had run sales, he had run service, he had run national accounts, he had run just about everything at GE. The, the guy was very well connected with Welch, high flyer, interviews me and says to me, uh, you know, I, I'd love to hire you. He says, except you're, uh, you're tainted. You're tainted goods. What's that? I said, what does that mean? 
He said, well, you just got denied you know, that other job. He says, and I have to ask why. So I was very upfront with him. I said, well, here's the exact feedback I got about why I didn't get that job. He says, well, what, what makes you think I should then bring you into this job? Because I need those same skills. And I remember my answer. My answer was, because Jim, given your reputation of how you can train and mentor and bring people to that point, I'm counting on that. Yeah. Like, I'm a willing student. And he obviously embraced that and hired me. And he did it and taught me a ton about how to present at higher levels and how to create the right narrative and how to position yourself and how to carry yourself and how to speak the talk and yeah. and became my favorite boss ever hmm. for that reason yeah for that reason he really took me over the goal line and that's when i went back to business school was when I worked for him. And it was, and, 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 and it so much showed through him. I was at the time, you know, still living in, uh, in Philadelphia. So I had to move to, I had to move to Wisconsin to go for this job. And I said to him, I said, Jim, I, 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 you know, at this point in my life, I was going through a divorce and I said, you know, but my children live in in Arizona, and he said, I will fly you back to go see your children. He goes, how often do you want to go see your children? I said, I, 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 every other weekend when it's my turn. He goes, okay, I'll fly you back to Arizona every other weekend. And he did. And I was never so loyal to anybody in my entire life. Yeah. It was the most incredible relationship I've ever had in business. Yeah. So, so he taught you, uh, I guess, is it, it, it's not like you can just take a class in leadership typically, right? He taught you the soft skills and the things in the business world of GE at the time that you needed to be successful and move to that next step, that, that leadership role position. That's exactly right. I mean, it was, it was the lear the learning I had was it was the softer stuff. It was the stuff outside the books. I mean, I, I, I knew I could pick up the jar. Yeah. I, I could pick up the technology. I could pick up, I knew how to sell. It wasn't that it was, how do you position yourself? Yeah. How do you get people like he was, he was brilliant. He had, he had followers that most presidents would envy, you yeah. know? Because he he had this he was this empathetic, embracing personality, who also was tough enough but loving enough, who brought you to the taught you enough but let you run free enough. It was this really interesting balance, all of which I didn't know anything about, mm -hmm. and I learned all that through him. Yeah. I learned, and he would course correct me. Like I would be. He'd say, "Well, you might, how about reframing that?" That was a, I was a, I use that word today still. He said, "Why don't you think about reframing those words?" Yeah. So he was great at, like, words matter. Like I learned this whole world, this whole world behind words matter. Mm -hmm. The words you use could either have really high impact or very low impact. Yeah. How you frame your value proposition, how you frame your position on anything. Or how you frame, you know, the company, 
matters. And, and how you describe that brings people either closer to you or away from you. And how you respond and react to people publicly and privately. He taught me a ton. He taught me how to give it, the, the things that I, you didn't think were important at the time. Things like how to actually give a meaningful performance review. Nobody ever taught Nobody teaches you how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. They just give you the form. Yeah, one through five. One through five. Yeah. No, that's not what Jim did. Jim says, no. Here, let's talk about what each of these things mean. Let's talk about when you're ranking people, what that thought process is. Let's mm-hmm. talk about how you deliver the message. Let's talk about what you want the desired outcome to be for them and for you mm-hmm. from that discussion and what the next steps are. And you make sure you carry through. He was brilliant at making sure you carry through your commitment. You, you, you made a commitment to somebody's development. You carry through. Mm-hmm. I worked for him for five years. So remind me again what that, what that role was. I was in uh, national. I was in corporate accounts, and then I ended up running corporate accounts under Jim. And so I got to a point. So corporate accounts were the the the, the, the largest accounts GE had. So it was the biggest health systems, the biggest group purchasing organizations, the group is, the biggest buying groups. Like millions of dollars were going through us, yeah. and. And it was fun, and I loved it, and I was thriving under under Jim. Mm-hmm. And then Jim said to me one day, he said, so of this, and this was during a performance review, and he gave me a great review, and, 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 and I appreciated it, and he was, gave me really great feedback too. And one of the things in his feedback was that he, wa- he encouraged me to think about the one thing that I do as part of this job that drives me the most that is my wow and and that was part of my performance because what is the one thing about this what you do and i knew exactly what the answer was and i just said it very quickly i said doing big deals doing the biggest deal personally negotiating with, with a team of people the largest most complex most sophisticated most convoluted deals we do i love that and he said to me, and you're really great at that. Why don't we find a job for you that does that? Yeah. And I said, well, it doesn't exist. He says, it doesn't exist today. But what if we found that job? Is that a job you would want? It's like yesterday. So he helps me to create that job. Hmm. Define it, describe it quantify it, put the right metrics behind it. What does it look like? Have the vision behind it. The whole package. What the value to GE would be. And he goes, and let's put together, let's let's sell this to Jeff Immelt, who was the CEO. Let's sell this concept to Jeff Immelt. Because the company needs this. You've done all your research. You know the company needs this. Heck, you've been doing it. And we create this presentation. He sets the groundwork with Jeff that we're going to present this. And I'm running solo on it. So what's the, what's the role title? And- so the role title is uh, the director of corporate alliances, where now I'm, I'm pitching, creating my own business unit, where mm-hmm. we only do deals 
it only hits my desk, our desk. I create a team, so I'll have a lawyer on staff. I'll have a finance guy or gal. I'll have uh, an HR person. You know, I'll just have, I'll have the key fa- factors and, and me. And what we do is we identify deals through the broader general sales organization, 10 million or greater. Mm-hmm. And then they hand it to us. And we work with them in collaboration with them, but we craft it, we strategize it, we develop the value proposition, we do all of the analysis, we negotiate it, and we close it. And then we hand it off back off to the field to go manage it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But they're, they're by our side, but we're, we're doing all of that. Yeah. And so I pitched this to ML, and, J- and Jim is there. And Jim has ever diplomatic as he is is just letting me do my thing and he would ask at the appropriate time the appropriate question that leads me to the next appropriate step and uh so jeff says i think this is a brilliant idea and i think we ought to do this this is really important especially at this point in our company's evolution Mm -hmm. i said well that's great and jim's looking at me and i'm not really sure why and Jeff says, who do you think should lead this? And I said, which is why Jim was looking at me. I said, I'm sitting right here. I need to lead this. I am passionate about leading this. Now, that was a big jump for me because that was what's called E-band at GE, executive band. Mm-hmm. That's breaking the glass ceiling at GE. Yeah. That sort of role. Emelt yeah. promotes me to it creates it, makes me e-band, and says to me, I understand that uh, your ex-wife and uh, children live in Phoenix. Is that right? I said, yeah. I understand Jim's been sending you back and forth every other week so you could see your children. I said, yeah. How is, how is that working out? I said, it's hard. It's really hard. He said, would you feel better if I moved you to Phoenix? Do this job out of Phoenix? I said, are you serious? He goes, I'm very serious. Because I know how committed you are to this, and I know how much more committed you'll be if you're near your children. Mm-hmm. I just looked at him in disbelief, and man was absolutely of his word. Moved me, relocated me, wow. sold my house, bought my house, did everything that you could possibly expect, and more. And that's how I ended up my career, and I did that for the next few years before I ended up leaving to go run a company in San Diego. Wow. Yeah. So that was your, that was your big jump. That I was guess. my big jump. Yeah. That was my big big jump, and and. So yeah, I broke that ceiling, but you know, Jim coached me through the ceiling. Jeff pulled me through the ceiling, right? Yeah. And, uh, but they, but it's not a handout. It's a, it's a, it's a leg up, right? Yeah. It's it's we're gonna give you a, a leg up and not a handout. And I had to prove myself, and you know, I did that for a few years, and it was great. And Jeff, Jeff really, Jeff and I really got along well. And I, I know there's a lot of controversy about his tenure, but I got along with him quite well. So I was on his BD team. So he, you know, I would do deals with, you know, I would, we would do acquisitions yeah. and so forth. So, so that was fun, and and I was doing diligence, and so I learned a ton from him, you know, notwithstanding his legacy and and so forth. I, I did learn a, a ton from Jeff. Jeff was brilliant. Yeah, so so I learned a ton. Well, at that point, I had gotten my MBA. They sent me to Kellogg. I got my MBA. They paid the whole ride. 
Um, and I actually invited Jeff to speak at my class at Kellogg because I worked for Jeff, yeah. and he did. <laughs> it was it was just this cool cool event. Yeah, he came and he's yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, kind of that's high level. You yeah. know, he came and talked to everybody, and it was it was awesome. And uh, and then I got offered. Uh, I ended up getting offered a CEO job uh, for a small company. It was a subsidiary of a, of a billion-dollar uh, defense company. At the time, the company was called Titan. Oh, of course. Yep. Yeah. And so Titan was the parent corporation, but they had 26 commercial companies. And by commercial, I mean they had commercial they had technology that was commercializable. Mm-hmm. And so their business model was we create and develop the technology as part of our defense company. But then we spin it off into commercial companies, and then we spin those out, and they go public. And they did that a couple of times. So I get recruited by Titan to run a $7 million, $7 million. I, I came – at GE, I was running a billion three division. Yeah. I went from that to a $7 million unprofitable division of a defense company. And – I remember going, uh, it was an interesting offer, right? For my first CEO job, uh, very entrepreneurial in many ways. Although, you know, I could say GE made me feel entrepreneurial too, but this was true entrepreneurism, you know, it's unprofitable. Mm-hmm. So I went and I talked to Immelt about it and Jim. And uh, Jim looks at me and goes, I think you ought to do it. I was like, you're not afraid for me? He's like, what? No, I'm not afraid for you. Are you afraid for yourself? Go go try that. So then I spoke to Immelt, and Immelt was, was awesome. Hmm. He says to me, you know what I think, Lou? He says, uh, I think you need to do that. Need was the word. I think you need to do that. And I said, Jeff, I really hesitate to leave GE. He says, Lou, Lou don't think like that. He said, I know why you're doing it. And I said, well, why do you think I'm doing it? He goes, because our bench is deep and wide here. And while you know that I know that you are capable of becoming a corporate officer, it's going to take some time. Yeah. You're a young man. This is an opportunity for you to go prove this to yourself one way or the other. And I said, Jeff, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate that. He goes, and... Not to give you a parachute, but I will say this. If it doesn't work out, come back. Yeah. I was like, are you serious? He goes, absolutely serious. So I took the plunge confidently and, and frankly with a bit of a GE blanket around me. Yeah, you know? like a just in case. Just yeah. in case. It felt, it felt, which I don't think people get very often. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I feel like people don't usually leave on terms like that either. No. Like most people, it's kind of kick you on the door on the yeah, way out. Yeah, that was like, totally not that. Yeah. Right? It was very, it was it was pretty awesome. In fact, so awesome that it felt wrong. Yeah, yeah. So it was very hard for me. I was very conflicted doing it. Because you said 12 years at GE. Yeah, it's yeah. been a dozen it's years long, there. It's a long time. You know, it's, it's a long time. And I, 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 I had six jobs in 12 years. And yeah. I learned a ton. I became a real, you know, I became a good, I became a business person through them. Yeah. Not just a salesperson. They, 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 it was a lot of tough love. And in fact, part of that tough love, they put me in situations that at the time I thought, oh my God, this is cruel. 
But it wasn't cruel. Best learning ever. So yeah. I'll give you an example. When I was running Philadelphia, remember the Philadelphia story? When I was running Philadelphia, I get a phone call from uh, the president. Hmm. He says, uh, Jack is, Jack Welsh is doing his annual tour. He does these tours, and he'll go around the country, and he goes to each major city, and uh, he wants each of the business units to present out to him. And I said, wow, that's exciting. He goes, yeah, and he's coming to Philadelphia, and I, I, I'd like you to represent healthcare. Hmm. I said, well, I'd be honored to. Well, I thought that's kind of where the conversation ended. I'd be honored to, and then, you know, tell me what Jack wants to hear, and I'll do it. Behind the scenes became very bureaucratic because they were so mindful of whatever Jack saw and heard and yeah. you know, so forth. So I saw the other side of it, right? So now I'm seeing, I'm, I'm feeling good about things. and But now I'm seeing that Paul and everybody was so worried about, you know, Jack, right? Because Jack was Jack, you yeah. know, Neutron Jack. Anyway, we start all this rehearsing and they send out templates for a presentation. And whatever you do, don't say X and <laughs> don't throw anybody under the bus and don't say something's not working. And, yeah. you know, I, and, and so I go into this. You know, like neurotic, right? Yeah. And uh, so there's a lineup, as you would expect. And some guy goes before me from another GE division in Philadelphia. Jack's sitting in the front row with his, you know, his armed guards, you know, whatever they were. And uh, this guy starts talking and Jack interrupts him harshly. Yeah. And says, would you just please get to the point? And so the guy gets rattled and starts on. And Jack's getting aggravated and agitated yeah. and says, I think I've heard enough. Why don't you just get off the stage? And I'm up next. <laughs> just a true story. Can't, yeah. you, you don't make this up. And uh, so, so I, I, I go up there and, you know, would you introduce yourself? And, yeah, I introduce myself. And he said, I've heard good things about, about you, Lou. And so I'm a little more relaxed. He says, well, th thank you, Jack. I, I, everybody called him Jack. And, yeah. Thank you, Jack. I really appreciate that. He said, yeah, tell me how things are going. So I pull up the presentation. He goes, you know what? Did Marabella give you that? Marabella gave you that template for that presentation? Hey, the one thing about it is, the one thing everybody always tells you, you never lie to Jack. Yeah. You just never. I said, yeah, yeah, we're all working from the same template. He goes, yeah, I know. I saw that in Denver. He said, how about we don't work from that template? How about we just talk? Sure, we could we could do that. <laughs> so I said, how would you like to start? And, and he would guide me. And he said, well, just tell me about the general business, the atmosphere in healthcare and in Philadelphia. And I'd give him that. Who are your largest customers? Why do they like to buy from you? It was all very conversational, right? Mm -hmm. He says, and Lou, uh, what are some of the biggest struggles that you're, you're facing in your marketplace? Now, I knew where this was going, right? And I said, well, be, you know, Jack, I, we're having some issues, as, as I, I imagine you're, you're well aware, with our x-ray business, with our, our x-ray tubes, you know, are failing. He goes, oh, I'm quite well aware of that. Tell me about that. So I tell him a couple of lost deals, a couple of customer satisfaction issues, so forth. He says, if you were me, if you were me what would you do about that? I said, well, I, 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 if I'm you, I would focus on having 
people resolve the technical issues associated with that. He said, that's, that's, that's a great answer because yeah, we've done that. What would you do next if the technical issues were solved, but the problem wasn't solved? What would you do? I says, I would talk to the people who are running. He goes, absolutely. And he brings up the guy's name who's running it. He said, would you fire him? Because I'm thinking of firing him. <laughs> would you fire him? Oh, God. <laughs> I said, Jack, that's an awkward question. He said, I know it is. Would you fire him? I said, I would probably fire him, Jack. Not because I don't like him. He goes, no, 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 that's okay. Let me put you in a hot spot, hot seat. I'm just curious. You would replace him, though. I fired's a strong word. You would replace him, though, with somebody who can now go carry that torch. <laughs> I said, I probably would do that. I no sooner left that meeting. And Jack was very thankful and appreciative, right? Mm-hmm. I leave. It couldn't have been three minutes. I'm getting screamed at by... By, by Paul screamed yeah. at to the point where I, you know that, that he's threatening to fire me fast forward and I'm at a meeting in Boca Raton it's all the E-band you know the, all the people there and Jack Jack Walsh is there and Jack comes over to me he says yeah, Lou you, you know I fired so and so I said I'm well aware of that Jack he said you got some shit for that didn't you I said a little bit He's let me tell you, best thing in your career that you could have done. Hmm. Best thing in your career that you could. Because that decision was made. In fact, that decision was made and executed before I asked you that question. Yeah. He says, then I know that Marabella got on you. He says, and I told Paul, never do that again. When I have a conversation with your people, he is never, ever to put you in a spot where you have to defend yourself. Hmm. You are honest and you are sincere about it. And frankly, you were correct. And that was it. And he walked away. I never heard a word since. Wow. After that. That was my Jack Welch experience. <laughs> That's some tough love. <laughs> that was it. And then I'd see him at other meetings and he would always come over, always remembering yeah. my name. In fact, he wrote me a personal note that I'm sure I have somewhere filed. <laughs> uh just a, a personal note from Jack, which he was notorious for writing personal notes to people. And I saved that to this day. Wow. Yeah, that was my GE experience. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah. I didn't know that you had like one-on-one communication with him at one a time. A lot. That's pretty cool. But uh, To me, it was a lot. It was yeah. a half dozen times. I have his book upstairs. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was, it, it was, it was a terrific run. It was a different GE at the time. It was the, the harsher uh, GE, you know, but, but I'll tell you, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was the best times, uh, best learning, hard, hard knocks. It was the school of hard knocks. But if they, if, they, if they had confidence in you, then they wanted to knock you. Yeah. You know, they wanted you to, to, to go through boot camp with them. And if I look back at it, that experience, not only for myself, but for so many others, was life-changing. Like, for me, it was life-changing. Yeah. You know, they, they, they sent me through Kellogg for an executive MBA, you know, a, a top three school. They, they, they brought me through the ranks. They set me up to become a CEO because they taught me so much. I mean, they, even now, GE has the reputation of the outside world of, like, the best managers. They in still the world. do. You know, even through everything that's happened, like, people still respect that. To a very high degree, I feel like. I think so. I I, I feel that way. Yeah. And I, I I I was 
when I was there, I had a bunch of guys who are now CEOs of very large companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Mahoney, CEO of Boston Scientific. Boston oh, wow. Scientific is one of the biggest healthcare companies in this yeah. world. Pete Arduini, who I worked with and worked for for a short period of time, was the CEO of Integra Health, <laughs> huge company, is now going back to GE to run their healthcare and they're spinning it off as an IPO. Yeah. Right? You know, Mike Minogue, who was my roommate, right? My, my roommate is the CEO of, uh, of, of, of a cardiovascular company, one of, the, one, of the, one of the most prevalent cardiovascular companies based out of Boston. It, I look back at it. I'm so proud to have yeah. been part of that, 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 the, that team. That, They're that, like the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. Like. <laughs> I mean, they, they, these guys are, I mean, the guys I worked with are running huge companies. Yeah. Now, 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 clearly, they, they, you know, they, they obviously had, they have something, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, Mike Mahone, uh, I mean, sorry, Mike Minogue running Abiomed. I mean, that, yeah, the guy took it from nothing to, to big time. And I remember him being my roommate and it was a, we were roommates. It was, yeah. a, you know what I mean? It was fun. Yeah. And I never quite like had what they had. I think it's the difference between playing college baseball and pro baseball. Yeah. Like we, we, we all played baseball pretty well. But this difference. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not sure what they have, and I'd love to know it one day. <laughs> but I'm very proud of them, you know. But when I left GE, I decided to try the CEO thing. Yeah. And that's when I went to Titan. As we, 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 we navigated away from But that's when I went to Titan. I show up day one. I got, you know, revenue that I can barely count. No profit. I don't even have an office. They had to, like, create an office for me and had to go hire people. And it was hard, man. Uh, that was my first real entrepreneurial experience. You know, I had existing technology that was being underutilized and it needed to be optimized. It needed to be upgraded. And it was electron beam technology for the use. It was actually developed during Star Wars. <laughs> and and we were using it for medical product sterilization. So I was there uh, within the first two years that I was there running it. We were starting to become profitable. We were selling more machines for companies to use to sterilize their own medical products. We were getting, we had three service centers, so people would bring their products to us. And that was getting, you know, we were growing the business, but, but you know, it's kind of slowly. All right, we left off. You're, you're CEO at a Titan subsidiary. subsidiary. Does, that, does that company have a title or is it still under Titan? So I had a, I, we had to name the company. So we named it Titan Scan Technologies. Okay. So that was one of the first things we did. Yeah. So we go on, we're doing our business, things are going okay, we're growing it moderately, you know, nothing earth shattering. Yeah. And then 9-11 hits, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, you know the whole 9-11 story. And soon after 9-11 is when uh, anthrax, I don't know if you remember all this, when the anthrax invasion really hit the country. So anthrax laced mail was going out to the government and to... uh, newscasters and a bunch of other celebrities and so forth very very high level so the nation was obviously visibly concerned with it so in our company we had uh we had, i had a couple of phds on staff one was a phd physicist and i remember the day he comes into me and he said uh listen i really think that uh, our electron beam technology could eradicate anthrax in the mail i said but we're not in the mail business 
He's, yeah, I know. I'm just saying, you know, I think it could eradicate it. This was a real turning point and a real learning for me in my career. This is entrepreneurism at, at its core. You pivot, right? You just pivot. So, so while this technology was very appropriate for, uh, for medical product sterilization, we were on this mission to prove out could it eradicate anthrax. And we did. Did a lot of studies. Did it with the – Well, remember, I worked for a defense company. So they had a lot of contacts with the federal government. Mm-hmm. So they were able to open up some doors. So they opened up these doors, and with their scientists, we were able to kind of prove out, yep, you know, E-beam technology, this sterilization – kills it so we end up in conversation with the federal government with the postal service in particular and uh ended up doing two things we sold them eight of our machines which is like several million dollars i mean it was it was i think we did a uh, 50 something million dollar deal with the federal government so they bought a bunch of our machines but it takes years to obviously deploy these and get them up to speed. Um, and then they wanted to secure one of our service centers, which was in Lima, Ohio. And that's what we did. So we totally pivoted. We were still doing medical product sterilization at our two other facilities. But the one in Ohio, it was dedicated for the federal government. Now, we were not told very much, right, once we signed this contract. We didn't know what they were putting through there. We didn't know anything. And it was the most surreal experience of my career. Most surreal. I would be there and I look up above and there's secured airspace. They were securing the airspace, protecting the airspace. On our site was the FBI or postal uh, agents with guns. And, and it was pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. So we did all the processing and we did that uh, for, for quite some time. And then we come to find out that we were doing Supreme Court mail, President, uh, Supreme Court mail, Senate mail, and Treasury money. There was money going through. They were actually doing this for, for, for money to make sure. Well, we did that for quite some time, and then we ended up kind of changing the whole trajectory of the company because we were this $7 million unprofitable company, and all of a sudden we were worth $100 million. Yeah. You know? And the chairman of our company said, yeah, this might be the time to sell the company. And that's what I was brought there to do. I was brought there to grow it, to sell it, to grow it, and then eventually sell it. So I, we went from this unknown little thing to got a lot of publicity. In fact, I still have a bunch of these articles you know, that, that were written about the company. And we end up being one of the saviors during Anthrax, and we get awarded the uh, the state of Ohio governor's award. Wow. So that's our little claim to fame. That was our 15 minutes of fame. And soon after we sold it. Uh, yeah. So we sold it and yeah, we, you know, took our options and, and everybody, every, everybody left and sold it to a private company and it's still in business today. Cool. Yeah. So, so, you know, sometimes bad things turn into good things, but, um, yeah. So I guess so. I guess coming from your your role at GE, which was more business development side and like high level sales, corporate sales, you go from that to a CEO job. Yeah. You have your executive MBA at that point. Yeah. And you had some mentorship up through GE, but you had not had any CEO experience. You hadn't. I mean, I no. guess is the is the e uh, e e band essentially like the C suite. It is for for most. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, it's so pretty, you it, you were you know. 
part of that world. It's not like you were, you know, what do I do when I get to this job? It was mostly just... True. It wasn't like it was an unknown. It was, will I do well in it and will yeah. I like it? Right. And the and when I, I can tell you that while that story I just told was a success story, it was a lot of luck. Yeah. Being at the right place at the right time with a somebody on my staff with good intuition. Yeah. And we pivoted. So, so you know, you have to kind of be, uh, I am realistic about that. But we did, we, 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 what we were is very decisive. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll, I'll tell you in retrospect, I didn't like being a CEO at all. Oh, and really? I knew that in that job. I didn't like that job. What about it did you not like? I didn't like talking to investors. I didn't like having to constantly explain uh, and justify our existence. Uh, I didn't like having to, you know, grovel for fundraising whenever you needed to do it. Uh, It was just an, uh, I liked, I liked overseeing the diversity of the organization. I just didn't like the politics. And I was now, I'm not a very, uh, I'm not very adept at internal politics. I, I've never have been. I, 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 there are some people that navigate themselves through that maze quite well, and I, and I could, but it's painful for me and not enjoyable. But it's mostly having to do with, uh, uh, you know, investor relations and the public markets. I just don't enjoy doing that at all. I learned that about myself. I don't like being in the news, getting interviewed. Uh, I mean, I just don't like any of that stuff. So I learned that. So it was a, it was a success story by all measures. It was a piece of history which I will forever, you know, be grateful for. Yeah, being a part of that. I mean, it's little, pretty cool. Like, it's actually a like, very cool thing. Yeah, that is very cool. Like, it's actually very cool. And there's articles that, yeah. that I've saved. You know, I don't even talk to my own children about this stuff. But yeah. there's 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 articles that I've saved. It's like this is our little piece of history. Yeah, yeah. You know, nine eleven. Like we made an impact. We did right. something really really good here. Yeah. You know. I'd like to think we saved lives and I'd, I'd like to think we saved the government. And, yeah. you know, you come to realize I'm doing Supreme Court mail. You yeah. know, got, you know, they can, the Supreme Court justices could open the mail without yeah. risk of yeah. dying. It's crazy. You know, so it was, it, was, it was a very cool experience. But what I also learned was I really don't like, I really don't love being a CEO. Could I do it? Yeah, I really don't love it. Yeah. So that kind of takes me, you know, it takes you full circle, right? So when we sold the company... That's when I thought I was going to retire. That's when my yeah. children told me to go back to work. You know, I, th- yeah. I thought I, you know, Dad, we love you, but not that much kind of thing. <laughs> um, and uh, so that was kind of a, a, a turning point for me. Like I really had to think about, because uh, I had a choice, right? Like what do I want to do? Do I want to pursue a CEO job on the heels of right, your success? big success and now you could go to something bigger? Go or to something yeah. bigger, right? Yeah. That was a route. Yeah. That, that, was, that was a viable route. I don't know if I would have gotten it, but it was a route. Yeah. You know, go to something bigger in the CEO world. I was coming off big news, very public news. So yeah. I, I would have thought that was a possibility. And I opted not to do it. I opted to go back to what I really feel like I loved, which was more of the business development sales piece, right? Yeah. So I explored a bunch of industries. Uh, I had always had a, uh, a fascination in the healthcare space, always, mm-hmm. always. And so came across uh, uh, through a friend of mine who was a recruiter at, at uh, Spencer Stewart, this opportunity in orthopedics. Now, I learned a lot about orthopedics through him. And orthopedics, you know, a lot of sports-minded people are in orthopedics. And, mm-hmm. you know, I like sports and I played sports. Uh, 
got enough science, but not, you know, not over the top. It's not working for biotech. Yeah. Um, and you're in healthcare. So I explored. Anyway, I take this job and I'm the chief commercial officer, chief sales and marketing officer for a company with, with, with a great brand name. And it was, they're the biggest player in, uh, in, uh, not in uh, rehabilitation, non-surgical rehab. Yeah. So I go there and I'm thinking, well, why did I go? You know, so what brought me there? What brought me there was the company had great brand recognition. Company generated a tremendous amount of cash. Free cash flow was off the chart. Hmm. Company stock price was fast declining. And there was reasons for that. And I thought, I can fix this. So what, I, what I know about myself is I like fixing things. I like business development and sales. And I'm like, this is a perfect fit. Mm. So I take that job. Great decision. Yeah. When I got there, stock was really declining. CEO had to rebuild his leadership team. And the reason that the stock price was fast declining was Wall Street, and we were publicly traded on uh, uh, New York Stock Exchange, uh, lost confidence. Because we weren't growing at a fast enough rate, and I knew that was the answer. So revenue covers a lot of sins, and and I knew, and I knew I was very very confident in my ability to go grow the business. Yeah. Very confident in my ability. Had great brand, great products. I it was just mismanaged. So I go there, and uh, we did. So when I started, we were 186 million dollars. When I left, we were 1.2 billion. That's five years. Yeah. It's not a bad run. This was. This was Don Joy? Don Joy. Yeah. It's not a bad run. Yeah. Right? So we end up selling the company. When I got there, the stock price was, it went as low as $2. Most of the stock that people had, including myself, were at 10 We sold that business for 50 bucks a share. Wow. Shareholders benefited. Employees benefited. Private equity bought us. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, and we did a roll up. We made a lot of acquisitions. It was a great run. And then all of a sudden, you look at it, and I'm back to a decision point. Mm -hmm. I got offered a president's job, you know, to run to run things, and uh, it wasn't for me. It was it was now I'm owned by private equity who care about. I, and I know I didn't. I knew going in, I would not love working for private equity. Yeah. The thing about private equity is it's quarter to quarter, and there's just everything. Everything is math. Nothing else really matters. Yeah. And uh, we just had built something really good, and we brought it to a really great place. And they wanted to to change directions, and I wasn't aligned with that. And that's the beauty about being at that point in my life it was that was the beauty about having the ability to make that decision right yeah. to say yes or no and right. i was like i opted out had a contract so i left now i'm trying to reinvent myself again figure out what i want to do next and i stayed with early stage companies after that yeah. that's what i did mm -hmm. i just stayed with early stage companies because what i find i love to do is to take something that at its core has legs mm -hmm. make it better expand it optimize it then go grow it, market it, have a look, you know, uh, have some sort of liquidity event from it. Yeah. And that's what I've done. So how do you find that, like, so going into a company like Donjoy, it's like, I mean, I'm assuming people had worked there for a little while. It's not like it's a, no, it was it's not like a new, yeah, it's an established company. It's not a newer, newer company. So like, 
you coming in, you know, I'll be your savior. I can fix this place. I'll grow this to a billion dollars. It's like, how do you come in and show people that you are capable of doing that without stepping on everyone's toes? And, you know, like, yeah. how do you navigate that? Yeah, that, that's, that's a really valid point. Uh, I can't say I did it perfectly because I know I didn't. Um, the company, the company was very uh, genteel. It was a it was a boys club. Mm-hmm. It was a bunch of guys who love sports, happen to be working for the company, happen to be having developed good products. Yeah, they're friends with the docs, right. and it was not professionally run. Yeah, I had to come in, and frankly, uh, I had to make decisions that the CEO knew needed to be made, but was uncomfortable making. Didn't want to be the bad guy. Didn't want to be the bad guy. Yeah. So I had to assume this role, and and. I don't advise this for anybody to take it or to be the guy who asked somebody to take this kind of role yeah. to be that guy. So I had to be that guy. And I came in and I basically reorganized sales, mm. hired more people, new people, different people. I had a lot of turnover uh, by design in our distribution force, a lot of independent reps, changed over a bunch of that, readjusted sales compensation programs got us into new products, new markets. And, uh, you know, I, I frankly got labeled. Uh, I don't know if it was, you know, I don't think it was incorrect, but I think it was exaggerated. I got labeled, you know, being the axe guy, yeah. you know, being the Jack Welsh of, of this. Yeah. Now, my training is, you know, I was trained in being very decisive and being able to make tough decisions. And being confident in those, but also, you know, realizing when you make a mistake. So, but they weren't used to anybody coming in and making these tough decisions. Yeah. So I, I was kind of labeled, you know, and I was the bad guy for, for five years. I was the bad guy. Yeah. But, but we grew and grew and grew and grew until we had this big liquidity event. So everybody benefited at the end, but the people that didn't benefit, like employees benefited, uh, investors benefited. The one constituent that never benefited were these distributors because they didn't have any equity in the company. They was it was just they had, they had agreements. Yeah, and I made the agreements tougher because I, uh, when we renegotiated agreements, I held them accountable to higher levels of achievement for 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 renewals and for higher commission rates. I changed I changed their world. Well, those were the people who were upset with me. Yeah, you know the the independents. And after we sold the company, you know, they, they were, they were very, they voiced them themselves, right? Yeah. A lot. And they went to the CEO and said, hey, everybody benefited but us. And there was a lot of truth to that. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. But, but yeah, I mean, so how do you navigate through it? You, I'd like to say my learning in that was to be a bit more delicate. I, at this point in my career, I'm much more, uh, I'm much more emotionally intelligent than I was then. Yeah. I wasn't extremely emotionally intelligent. I was Jack Welsh saying, let's get our shit, you know, (laughs) let's get it together. Right. Uh, Here's what needs to be done. And I would, you know, force feed things. And, and we, while we were successful, it wasn't without us collateral damage. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was a learning for me because there was collateral damage, right? I mean, people yeah. are upset. You know, it's a new – culture's changed. One of the things – the other thing we didn't do quite well 
was managing cultural change because there was a cultural shift, except the CEO was the same CEO through every single culture. So on the in, in the back room, he was still himself. Yeah. While the rest of us, the new team, was trying to move us to a better place. I think the answer, the best answer would have been somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I was probably too far to the right. He was probably too far to the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a sad leaving. You know, I, I, I didn't want to be part of a big political organization. And I'm not so sure they wanted me at that point. Right? Because mm-hmm. they didn't need that anymore. Now they needed someone who was going to be the going to be more genteel yeah who is going to be able to manage this big right. portfolio now 1.2 billion right it's been fixed it's right. been fixed right. so it's been fixed right yeah. i wasn't the right guy for that i yeah. knew that they knew that um uh, and that's when i moved on yeah you know hmm. uh i don't re- i mean it was a great it was a great run yeah it was a great run it was well i just think like that's a that's a skill set. It's almost like a soft skill that it's like very difficult to learn, right? Like I come into a new job and I want to prove that I'm good at this job, but how do you do that without just being like, oh, this guy, you know, this guy's coming and he thinks he's going to run the whole place and, you know, but you also want to... It's very delicate. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think the what I learned through that experience was you want to show that you're in control, right? You, you you do want to show decisiveness and control. Mm-hmm. And I was always mindful of that. I also listened well. But this was a group of people who, if I didn't agree with them, took that as now I'm their adversary, right? Because yeah. I didn't agree with the historical... Yeah. But that, I, I, that did not bother me. And I think it should have bothered me more. Like, I think I could have been maybe a bit more deliberate about the timing of things, ease into things a bit more. Yeah. I, at the time, you know, bold, aggressive. Well, you came from GE, I right? I came this from was, GE. This was probably like a, you know, an this, easy cakewalk, right? Well, like, this was what I knew to do. Yeah. The, actually, this was a layup. Yeah. I, I knew exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't look back. Yeah. At, at all. I'm not so sure that that plays well today. Yeah. That doesn't play as well today. And I know that. And I have since, you know, kind of, yeah, look, I think you're changed. constantly morphing, right? right? And I think I've changed my uh, my style a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time, at that moment, with that company, in that situation, it was effective. Yeah. It's yeah. not sustainable. I don't, I don't think that approach is sustainable. And I don't think it's for many of the companies today. Mm-hmm. I would not advise the Neutron Jack approach yeah. today. Yeah. I, I just don't think it flies well. Yeah. And I don't do that today. The company I run today, I, I, it's not my style. Yeah. You know, not today. Sometimes right. I have to bite my lip a lot. Yeah. So what I did find through all of that was I like these earlier stage, up and coming, you know, good innovation, undiscovered yeah. sort of worlds go grow it and that's where i still am today you know i i I, i'm chief business officer at a smaller company we're owned by a very large organization but uh it's all about growth it's all about uh uh, it's really about marketing brand awareness i mean i I, i'm back to creating brand awareness for our company 
Yeah. I mean, we're only a $15 million company. And there's your communications degree, right? There, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm back to brand awareness. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm back to val- basics, value proposition, doing deals. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I love it. I, I, I love, I love, I know that this is my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Doing deals. I don't want to have to be the hatchet man anymore. Yeah. I don't mind making tough decisions. I can make tough decisions. I, 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 I'm capable of that. I, you know, but I think it's a different game today. Yeah. Yeah. So I like what I'm doing. I mean, it's really interesting from someone in my seat to see, like, you basically are offered the chance to go the CEO route, right? Anyone that you talk to on the street, they're going to say, oh, I would be the CEO in a heartbeat. Yeah. But until you get there, I guess, right? Like, then you start realizing whether it's something you actually enjoy doing. And If you're honest with yourself. But yeah, I, I, think, I think oftentimes it, ego does, I mean, look, there's not a single CEO out there who doesn't have an ego. I, yeah. I can't imagine one. Yeah. Like, there's not a single successful person, no matter what role they're in, that is not prideful. Yeah. Which in definition is an ego, right? It, it doesn't. It, it. They're not. They're not separate. Yeah. For me, and it wasn't easy because my ego said, "Oh, you gotta go take the big job." And for a long time, and my spouse knows this about me now. Sometimes I feel like an underachiever. Yeah. Oftentimes I feel like an underachiever today. Yeah. Well, you're comparing to, yourself to the peers that are at the top of the world. To my right? friends, yeah. to my peers, right? Yeah. So I feel like an underachiever. I feel yeah. like I'm I'm a loser. But and 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 part of me, I'm not going to lie about that. I I I really sometimes feel like I let myself down. Hmm. And then I have to catch myself and say, "No, I made purposeful decisions because I was honest with myself." Yeah. I didn't love being a CEO. I wasn't that great at it. Yeah. What am I really good at? I'm really good at business development. I'm really good at leading a sales team. I'm really good at growing revenue. I'm really good at customer relationship management. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at those things. I stink at politics. I am not the guy to go put in front of the board. I cannot stand that. Yeah. I don't like those discussions because it's bureaucratic. Don't put me in front of investors. While I could tell our story, I don't like having to fabricate or exaggerate yeah. or fill in the blanks. I'm, it, it's against who I am. Yeah. Because I'm too blunt about it. Yeah. You know? So I, I found my sweet spot. It's kind of this, these ebbs and flows and ins and outs of my career. Yeah. I, I know what I'm good at. I know what I like. It's one and the same. And that's how I think I'll end my career. You know, it's... You know, I, yeah. I look, does my ego say, geez, I wish I could have been the CEO of a, you know, a billion dollar publicly traded company? Of course. Would I have been great at that? Nah, probably not. Probably yeah. not great at that. Probably okay. <laughs> probably, probably just okay. Yeah. And not great for my family. Yeah. You know, and these guys are, I don't know if it's a special breed, Robert, or if it's, if they're able to parse out when I'm not able to. Like, yeah. I, I think about this a lot. Yeah. What are they able to do that I was either unwilling or unable to do? Yeah, I don't even know how you gain that skill set to do that well, sustainably, for a long time. And have a happy like, marriage. Yeah, right. And be able to raise your kids and be there for yeah. ballet. Right. Like, like, the one thing I pride myself on, I, 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 I'm sure I stink at a lot of things. Here's the one thing I never stunk at. 
I was there for every major event for my children. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Every major horseback riding event, every ballet that they'll never remember that they were in. Yeah. I was there for all that. So yeah. I'm okay. Yeah, that was that was my choice. Right. You know, I don't know if it's good or bad and it's probably yeah. a good thing. I yeah, mean. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, it depends on scale you're you're yeah. looking at. And then you know, earlier I mentioned you know the important you know at the time the importance of money. And that is true. And I think if people are truly self-reflective and honest with themselves, there's always a part of somebody who's conflicted. Mm-hmm. What do I love to do? What am I great at doing? How much do I want to make? And do those two lines collide? Yeah. And if those two lines don't collide, they're faced with a decision. Yeah. Right? And I think if people are honest, and I think most people are in the deep dark of a room, and I think we've made decisions on both sides of that. Like I've made decisions for money that I totally regret. Yeah. I can't say I've ever made a decision about what I love to do and have done that that I've regretted. Yeah. Right? I think I stayed at jobs maybe a little too long because I was making good money. How do you differentiate what you like to do versus what you're good at? Because, like, I feel like I could be good at something, but it definitely doesn't mean that I really like doing it all the time. Uh, that That's... Uh, I, 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 I can nail that in, my, in me very easily. Really? Yeah. It's the stuff that I am naturally inclined to want to do when I first wake up. Like, that's the stuff I go to immediately. And in my world, it's customers, it's revenue, it's deals. Yeah. yeah. That's the first thing that comes to my mind every day. It's what I want to do. And I get great satisfaction at doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about being good at it. And I could quantify that I am good at it. It's what the, It's really the first thing I want to do every day. Like I don't here's what I do in the morning. What when I the first thing I do when I'm starting my work day, it's it's about my deal list. I have a deal list. So I have a dozen deals of various sizes, three million, whatever the size is, two million, a million, five hundred, whatever the number is. I have my deal list. My first order of business every day is where I'm with this deal list. Mm-hmm. Every day. All day. That's what the first thing I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I, like on top of that, how do you, you know, of those things that you wake up wanting to do, do any of those things stress you? Like, does it stress you out to say, uh, I have to call a customer today and we have to have a conversation? Not like, the stuff nothing, I love to do. Not nothing you I like love doing to do. causes stress. Okay. No, nothing that I love to do causes me stress. Yeah. Stuff that causes me stress is the internal, is the internal stuff. Yeah. Stuff I don't like to do. Hmm. I stink at that. Like, yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know what I want to do? I want to have my deal list. I want to go get the revenue today. Yeah. That's what I like to do. That's what I'm good at doing. And I like motivating my people and being part, you know, uh, leading a sales team, but but not what my boss is doing. Yeah. At all. You know, I could I, I, I my stress is different, right? Like my my stress at work is did I get to get to the levels that I, I'm very, I feel very strongly about making and meeting commitments. That is a very important thing in my world. Mm-hmm. So if I say to you, we're going to do 15 million this year, you, you can take to the bank, I'm going to do everything we can to get us to 15 million. And if we don't get to 15 million, you don't even need to have a conversation with me. 
Because trust me, I'll have beat myself up more yeah. times. Right. And of course, correct it more time. I don't even need your guidance on that. I mean, I'm not trying to be flippant about it, but that's my, that's how I am. Yeah. Well, I think you've made like a very successful career and people probably envy it quite a bit. If you, you know, outside of your own world, I think that like you talk to people who are interested in business and the path that you went through is something that I think people would want to follow, right? It's a, it's a very successful blueprint of of a way that you can work your way up and it, you know listening to your story it's sort of like you never asked for anything right you never hey can you promote me hey i want more money hey give me this give me that it's just sort of you do your job and you do it well and you do what you like to do and you figure that out pretty quickly which was lucky right like it was most, lucky, a yeah. lot of people don't know exactly what they're good at and what they like to do yeah yeah and so you kind of jumped right on that and figure that out quickly and then yeah, I think that's true. I don't know if it's so much a blueprint because a blueprint, like I think the Pete Arduinis and the Mike Mahoney's and the Mike Minogue's, like that was a blueprint, right? Where they, they had a blueprint in mind. They're like, I'm going to be sales. I'm going to be a sales manager. I'm going to be a general manager. I'm going to be this. I'm, then I'm going to be yeah. the CEO of a publicly traded company. And it was a very linear sequence for them. Yeah. My, uh, my path was yes, but... Take a pivot, go left, revisit what you think you like, try yeah. that a bit more. Did it work? You know, so mine was a bit more topsy turvy. And I think while I don't think there's a wrong answer to how you get how you get to wherever it is you want to get to, mine was a very uncertain path because I was discovering as I was going. And for whatever reason, these guys that I'm talking about. It's like they knew or they were just great at it or like I did not have a predictable linear path. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's a right answer or a wrong answer. My answer was one of being very, very self-reflective and honest with, with, you know, with me to say, man, it's kind of where I am, man. Yeah, you know, it's where I am. And that's the biggest encouragement I would give to anybody is I think being honest with yourself and being truthful with yourself about what you like to do and are you willing to do the things that sometimes they take? Like, I'm not so sure it's glamorous looking at being a CEO of a publicly traded company. It's glamorous. I have glamorous friends. Yeah. I'm not so sure I'd want to... Like, do, do you know what that takes? Yeah. The things you're not able to do? Right. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of money left, and your kids will inherit, I'm sure, far more than most, right? But I don't know. I think over a, over a, an adult beverage, if they were honest, like, and I think my friends would be, to tell me all the things that they sacrificed to do that. Yeah. Did, it, you don't get both sides of the pie. Yeah. You know, I chose the other side. I, I tried to choose the side that was more peaceful to me and better for my family. Yeah. And I sacrificed things, I'm sure. Title, prestige, money. Mm -hmm. I, I sacrificed a lot of things, I'm sure. Yeah. But do I have any regrets? No, I made enough money. I, yeah. You know, I mean, what's it? You know, I, I had enough of a title. I yeah. had a fulfilling enough career. Like, for me, enough was the word. Mm. I think for friends of mine, it's like, is it ever enough? Like, more. I always want more. I want more. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, well, I was wondering, like, did you ever sit down and like your goal, I mean, I'm assuming you had goals, but I don't know how much your career goals were like, 
you know, you didn't say, I want to go to this next role, and then there, and then there. It was mostly, maybe it was just one goal ahead. It was just, what's my next step? It wasn't necessarily what's three steps from now. I think like, that, how did you, how did you plan that? I, I guess I, I know how people can walk into a room and say, I want to be the next CEO of GE or whatever the deal is. But to me, that, that was so foreign. Like I, my mind never worked that way. Yeah. Because I thought it was such a leap that it was just irresponsible to even think that way. Yeah. So for me, it was always, okay, I know, I, I don't know where I'm going to land. Like if you looked at the top of the, if you looked at the top of the pyramid, I wasn't sure where along that spectrum I would land, but I knew I wanted to go upward. Mm-hmm. That that much I knew. Yeah. And so I always looked at what roles will I learn the most from, enjoy, that while it may not be straight movement, straight up on a ladder, it could be a little left up, a little right up, it could be a little sideways for a couple of years, would still get me there and it might take me longer. I tend to, to look at it that way. Yeah, yeah. That was me. And that's, so I, and I think for me it benefited because I feel very diversified and very cross-functional. Like my skill set, while I would say it's absolutely business development and, and sales and revenue, I am very skilled at, you know, running a P&L. I'm very skilled at, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 th- the general management aspects. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was my, you know, I, I just chose a different way to go do it. Yeah. I just chose it. And I was a little afraid. See, I think these guys are not afraid at all. Like I was always a little skittish. Yeah. Ever, ever since I got told they didn't have any presence, like I got a little skittish. Yeah, yeah. There's also something like you don't, you don't necessarily portray the feeling of like you're owed anything. And sometimes I feel like I get that from people that they're like, oh, I'm going to be a CEO because my dad was a CEO because, you know, I, I was oh, raised I in this type of environment or I went to a, a you know, a ritzy private school or that kind of thing. You, you And I did go to a, like a... a more upper class undergraduate school so i saw a lot of that. you saw this and so yeah. like you hear the mentalities of the kids of the ceos and it's sort of it's not even a question oh what do i want to do it's oh i'm just gonna go i'll go into finance then i'll work my way up through wall street and then i'll be the ceo of a startup I'm supposed or, to. right that's just what the normal path is for me i guess right like and yeah. so for someone who who is that's so foreign to it's like well how do you how do you figure out what what your path is and where you're where what's even an option what's what are you allowed to go do before you're you know out of your comfort zone or before you're out of the your yeah. element yeah well you know that 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 comment kind of is very divided let me tell you why because i think the beauty of the path i took was the naive the, the naivety of it all yeah i was very naive yeah that was that was the the brilliance and the beauty of it and the pleasing of it I, you know, here I am, I'm 16 years old, I'm graduating high school. Nobody in my family had ever gone to college. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to pick a school. I have nobody giving me any input except my girlfriend, yeah. who's just a couple of years older. It, it was so naive and innocent that the decisions I made were exactly that, naive and innocent. Right? Yeah. So do I wish I had somebody by my side saying, hey, you... you why aren't you going to Cornell? Yeah. You, you got accepted to Columbia and you're saying no why? Yeah. 
I didn't have that. I didn't have that. I didn't have that like encouragement, right? Not because of lack of love, lack of knowledge. Yeah. I mean, my mother was just like, she was elated that I was going to college. My right. whole family was. So do I wish I had some of that? Yes. Am I almost glad I didn't? Yeah. I'm almost glad I didn't. Yeah. Like my, my children, they had the benefit of parents who could speak, you know, could speak about, you know, uh, undergrad and different colleges. And we tried to give them the leg up. And what I learned through that experience was you can, you can advise, you can bring them, and then they're going to make what feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. Example. My eldest daughter, you know, I was trying to introduce her to schools that would meet her personality more, right? And she gets accepted to some, you know. She ends up randomly applying to to a school I never thought, and I frankly never thought she'd get into. She gets into it. It's her stretch school. I'm nervous beyond compare. Mm-hmm. She She gets in. We embrace her, and she does well there. I wouldn't have imagined that she would have made that decision yeah. at all. I would have thought she would have chosen something, frankly, easier. Yeah. Right? My youngest daughter has the opportunities beyond compare and chooses what her sister chose, which I disagreed with, by the way, mm-hmm. and expressed disagreement in this. Turns out it was probably one of the best decisions she could have made because yeah. I think she needed a grounding experience. So so when you look at the two, the two girls, one... I thought stretched herself too much. The other, I thought, came in too low on the bar. And they both landed in a really good place, but for entirely different reasons. Yeah. Right? Right. So, yeah, we gave them guidance, but they didn't take any of our guidance. (laughs) I mean, none of my guidance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm okay with that I didn't have any. Uh, I think that's kind of the self, that's a little bit of pride I have is that, I made a lot of mistakes, but I made a couple of good decisions, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you were also probably lucky in that way in that, like, you didn't have to hold yourself to that standard. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, oh, man, if I don't do this, I'm a failure. If I don't get to that level, you know, what you know, what am I even doing? You, you yeah, kind of, it's true. sort of just you're, you're figuring it out, you know, along with the rest of the people. But. I, th- I think it's tough on, on, uh, on folks that are entering college to be unduly influenced by their parents. I, I tried not to do that. Like I, I, I mentioned Northwestern once to my kids and they both just like, no, and I never revisited it. They, neither one had any interest. Yeah. And, and I know that in families, you know, they push, you know, some for good reason, yeah. I, I, understandable reasons. I never quite, I never quite did that. But I also didn't want to be the guy who was living uh, vicariously through my children. Right. I didn't yeah. want to be the guy who pushed my children unduly to go to Harvard because I wished I did that. Yeah. Right? I didn't want to be that guy either. Yeah. And, and I, I, I didn't do that. Oh, I mean, I, 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 I think I tried to ask the question. I think I did ask the question of my youngest daughter. So what about Harvard? Yeah. What about, <laughs> I, I know I did. I mean, I clearly know I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I was cool backing off of that, <laughs> of that thing too. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's tough one. Yeah. On, on young people when they they have to go through that look there's no there's no one path yeah there's no one path mine mine is in mine's my path but it's certainly rocky it's bumpy it's plagued with a lot of things but it's also uh i think was pretty 
adventurous. Mm-hmm. Like I had an adventurous career. You know, I did. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 it was not a predictable career. I, I don't think I'd really change any piece of it, really. <laughs> I don't think I would. It's a hell of a story, though. Yeah, I don't know. That's what we have. For you people know? who love business, I feel like, you know, you could write a book and it would do pretty well. <laughs> it's like a very interesting take on, on the business world, I think. You know, and that when I went into... Uh, funny when i went into uh teaching right i've said this we, we talked about this earlier this passion for sharing and teaching i have a whole different view of education right mm-hmm. so from my my view is i don't want anybody to lecture to me i want people to share their experiences overlaid by the practical realities of the world. Yeah. And that's the way I... That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. This is really good. <laughs> uh, I love it. And that's the way I'd like to approach it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, people say, what is entrepreneur? I teach entrepreneurship. What is entrepreneurship? I don't know. You want me to... I'm going to give you the real world on what, you know, yeah. uh, on what this looks like, you know? Good, bad, ugly, and, and yeah. the whole bit. Yeah, I think you're onto something with this thing. But anyway, that's that's my story, and I'll stick to it. <laughs> that's a great story. To to close this all out, I have two selfish questions that I want to ask. Um, so the first question is just for from your perspective perspective of me, where could you see me landing in twenty years in my career? Well, I would place you more on the technology side of things, whatever that is to you. Um, I see your brain works that way. I see you like that. You like solving problems. You're inquisitive. So I, certainly technology solutions of some sort, whatever that looks like. Um, I think you have an interesting uh, balance. Like you, you're, you're, you're very technical and that, that obviously you're an engineer and you've trained that way. But you have some really good natural and, and learned and learned uh business skills so i could see you leading those things i don't know it wouldn't surprise me if you became a chief technical officer of some company hmm. you know it's interesting yeah yeah you know chief technology chief, chief innovation officer yeah something where you could be a bit of a dreamer uh but run a business yeah because that's you you're you're a bit of a dreamer but you have great ideas you're practical so 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 you can do both you know you, you actually can do all those things. Yeah, that's what I wondered. <laughs> you actually can do all those things. Yeah. You, you know, uh, chief innovation officer, I think, is a really cool role. Well, yeah. Why? Because you're the daydreamer. You're the, you're, you're the imaginer. You're, you, you, you're going to go invent the next thing. You're going to hire people to invent it. But you know what? Embedded in that is a business. Yeah, right. And I, I think that's where I could see you. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's where I could see you. I mean, that might lead you to, you know, something, you know, CEO or whatever, but those are different jobs. Yeah, yeah. But from what I know of you today and what I, what I see in you and how your mind works, that's what I say. Hmm. Cool. Well, thank you. I don't know if that helps. No, that is. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying. I'm making a list. So I've got a whole list. Is that a good list? That's a good yeah, list. Yeah, Chief Innovation. I like that title. That is a cool title. That is a great title. I feel like I could work at like... Pixar or something. You could work that anywhere. Like... Just drawing, make drawings, <laughs> yeah. do whatever you yeah. want. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, so final question. Um, so the way that I would like to end these podcasts is to 
basically try to figure out who the next person that I want to interview would be. So in your Rolodex of all these people that you've met, who would be someone that you think I might be interested in speaking to kind of on the same wavelength of what we just discussed for this past couple hours? Someone that's just interesting, innovative, someone that has inspired you. I have the perfect person. Who's that? Les Cross. So Les Cross was my boss at DJO, at Don Joy, mm-hmm. who I had a very tumultuous relationship with. In fact, he fired me at the end. When I, when I got off at that president's job and I said, no, he said, then you should leave. And I ended up leaving. Yeah. And I just reconnected with him. But the reason I think he's brilliant is he doesn't come from a traditional route. Mm-hmm. He's run publicly traded companies, but he was a salesman. He, he is the most resilient leader I've ever met, no matter how hard times could be. Yeah. He has been through so many bad times and always finds... He always finds the pothole to stick his hat, head out of again. Hmm. He just does. He'd be the perfect person. Well, I might take you up on that. Yeah. See if you can He'd be the perfect person. He'll teach you resiliency. Yeah. yeah. He'll teach you how to go hire all the right people. Yeah. And being really resilient. That's a, it's an a, important skill to have. I think, it's a, I, I think it's an incredible skill. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I would connect you to him. And if Jim Del Morrow is available... I would absolutely want you to talk to Jim DeLore. Is he still at GE? No, he retired at the age of 57 due to uh, Parkinson's. And, oh, yeah. Uh, he's about 80 years old now. Oh, wow. And he's, uh, he lives in Florida, but if he's able, he, he would be willing. Yeah. Do you still connect to these people? I do. Yeah. That's awesome. I do. I hope this helped. This was great. I mean, what do you think? Like, what was your... This is sort of me testing out these different formats. And, you know, I did it in the kitchen with my dad. And it was kind of weird because we're at the dinner table. So I was like, maybe this will be more comfortable. And, you know. I think it's great. I Well, I think it does a couple of things. One is uh, I think it's teaching you or showing you that every story is just that. It's a story. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, when you take a collection of a stories and there's a hundred of them, Somewhere in that is an answer for someone somehow, yeah. and they're not all the same stories. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, the other is uh, selfishly for you. I think you get to kind of know, uh, you get to know people. You get yeah. to know a little bit more about people. But moreover, uh, for for you and and for your listeners, it's going to be about what kernel, what you know, what 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 kernels can I take from each of these things? Because yeah. there's no one thing from anybody. Yeah. There's no one model. That's exactly it. I mean, there, it's there's like, no one model. Right. It's like, you know, I've, I've been so into business entrepreneurship podcasts, listening to founders, listening to all this stuff. And, you know, usually I'll listen to a one or two hour podcast and take away one or two things. Right. It's like everyone takes away a different thing. And sort of my thought with this is twofold. One, I think that I can hear people's stories and everyone wants to tell their story and everyone has an interesting story of their own and two from a super selfish perspective you know i am always interested in these conversations but they're not always when do you have a chance to sit down for two hours and talk to someone about their entire career without you know like this is almost an excuse to get that story out of someone you know what i mean yeah that well not only that but you said something that's really important 
everybody, Robert, wants to tell their story. Yeah. Most people don't get the opportunity to tell the story. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think that's very important. And if they got to tell their story, they only tell them in pieces. Yeah. And even their own family doesn't know their whole story. Yeah. And this isn't even the whole story. It's but not it's, even the whole it's story. It's probably more than any other one person. I've never had get. this conversation with my daughters. Yeah. Ever. Well, they, they, I don't know how interested in the business. Side. No, they wouldn't. Have, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's probably the reason. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Why? You know. But you know, I think it's. I think it's valuable for you. Again, just take the pieces that work for you, and or others, and yeah. mold them together. Yeah. No, well, I appreciate you asking. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was really, really helpful. Good. Can I finish my wine? Finish your wine. Let me, <laughs> here, let me close this off because I actually almost killed this. 